0: Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this Word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon, and remember... Um, I want to get into this today, and, and we'll see where it goes. The, the, the truth is... Um, I almost wanted to get into, uh, uh, God hasn't stopped speaking to me about the, what we shared last Sunday in the middle of worship when we talked about the woman with the, with the flow of blood and, and what he spoke. So, so I'm just going to continue to pray into that and, and continue to read it and put some thoughts. We'll see what happens with that. So that might be coming soon, but but I want to continue to talk about the Holy Spirit. Amen? Um, and, and, and there's a reason why I want to continue to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, Number one, um, the Holy Spirit is God, so we can't limit, and we can't ignore, and we just can't pretend like he doesn't exist. Um, He's God, and um, he deserves reverence, he deserves attention, amen? Amen. Um, Holy Spirit, where would we be? Does anyone know where they would be without the Holy Spirit? Yeah, we would all be lost. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, he's leading you to your salvation. So you would have never been led to Christ if it was not by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was important and crucial in the role that he played in your salvation. You would have never come to the man on the cross if it was not for God, the Holy Spirit. Very important. Very important that we know that. How many of us were, uh, how many of you who were at hubs, how many of you are at hubs um, on Tuesday, the Tuesday hub, the Miramar hub that I went to go visit, and we said, um, go ahead and start studying on, on quenching the Holy Spirit. How many of you took that uh, challenge and started to uh, look into it? Did anyone here start to look into that, to that challenge and said, I'm going to take that? All right. Well, I correct all of you today <laughs> in Jesus' love for not doing your homework. <laughs> I wanted to see if you, uh, I could use you today in today's message. So you missed out on a great opportunity because you didn't do your homework. <laughs> Amen. Study. Study what it looks like and what it means to quench the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, I think it will do something powerful in your life. So this message that I want to share today, you know, I started to think about it, and, and really it might be just um, a foundational thing. It might stay right here where it's at. It might go deeper. It might get into, might get into other stuff. But this, just this introduction itself and this message in itself, uh, it's not popular. It's not a popular message um, in today's church. It's not popular in the, in the gatherings of God's people. It's not something that's very popular. It's really, it's, it's a message that, that if we were to surrender to its truth, uh, we ask this question, what would be the outcome? And what would be the product of our lives? When we speak about this message and we were to surrender to this truth, what would be the final product? What would be this outcome, um, in our lives? And and hopefully, maybe we could end today with those, with that, with that question. Um, if you're in any kind of relationship, in any relationship that you are in, with an individual, just tell me if this is true or not. The more you allow, the more you allow to give of yourself to that person, the more power that person may have in your life. I thought that was the right statement when I wrote it. So the more you allow to give yourself to that person, the more power you allow that person to have in your life. And that's true in any kind of relationship that you may be in. It doesn't have to be a a, a, a valentino relationship. It could be um, friendship, whatever it is. So When I say a statement like that, what's the next thing that we could say? Well, we need to be smart in who we allow those people to be. Yeah? We need to be smart in who we allow those people to be. Because their words will have power. Their opinions will have power. Their lives will have power over your life. Because you're giving them what is called influence over your life. I wrote this in bold, and I'll read it just as I wrote it. I wrote, each one of us decides for ourselves who will be the people that have influence in our lives. You didn't just wake up and say, this is the person that God gave me to have influence. No, you've decided who the people that are going to have influence in your life are. Each one of us have decided that. I want you just to pause for a moment and think about that. I'm not actually preaching about influences of people and all that. You'll see where I'm going, but... Sometimes I feel like I have to mention things that happen here on earth so you could understand what we're talking about in heaven. So, so when we, we think about that, just say, man, who, who are these individuals that have allowed to have influence in my life? Very important that you could really define that within you. Have you done a good job? Have you, Or are you more in danger than you are blessed with that? And, and all of this, that, that statement, each one of you decides for yourself who will be the people of influence in your life. All of this is achieved by your surrender. How do I allow another to have influence in me? The question to that is, have you surrendered to them? If you have not surrendered of yourself, you're not giving them the opportunity to have influence in you. And that's the reality in any relationship. My wife has influence in my life. The reason why my wife has influence in my life is because I have surrendered to her. But do you know that there's still parts in my, in, my, in my marriage that my wife does not have influence in? Because those might be parts in my life where I have not surrendered. I'm not saying, that's not, don't, don't go so crazy, but like, well, let's dig into that right now and let's talk about that. <laughs> but that's with a lot of my friendships. That's even true with God. Where I want him to have full influence, right? over me, but then God says, right, but you haven't surrendered full surrenderance to me. In order to receive full of my full influence, I need to receive your full surrender. Some of us want to live in the full influence of the Lord, but you're not willing to live in full surrender unto the Lord. Think about that right now for the things that you're praying for, but yet there's things in you that you have not fully surrendered. Can you imagine maybe that the reason why he hasn't said yes to those things, because there might be a yes to it, but the reason he hasn't said a yes now right now is because he knows that if I give you that which you've longed and you pray for, what's going to continue to happen because you still haven't learned to fully surrender? It might continue to handicap your surrender if he just automatically pours that blessing in your life. It's not that he's a bad God and he's cursing you. He actually loves you and he wants you fully surrendered. The more you give of yourself, how about this, the more ground they have on you. In some relationships, this may be good, and in some, it can be toxic. There may be moments where the Lord says, you're done here. You're done here. It does not mean that you love that person less or you don't care for that person. It's just you're done. You're done in that place. And there may be moments where it's not. You continue. You continue. The beautiful thing is that as we surrender, God continues. He's, he's still pouring and he's still giving grace. What a, what a beautiful thing this is. But some relationships we need to really kind of put our minds to and say, where, where am I at? And how is this affecting me spiritually with the Lord? But all of that introduction to say this one truth, that there is one relationship that must be, that this must be what I'm saying today. It's ultimate reality, this ultimate goal. It this, this should be this one relationship. And when we see this relationship in its magnitude, the truth is it can scare people. It can scare some of us. Not necessarily all of us, but or maybe all of us, actually. Forget that. It can scare some of us or, or all of us. And you say, well, why, why would this kind of relationship in such magnitude scare all of us or scare some of us? Why? Well, I thought about some things. I said, well, because... When you come to this place, then you learn that this is the place where you lose all control. How many of us need to be in control? Or you know you don't need to, you just love to be in control. And then the Lord is dealing with you and says, I need to release you from your control. I want you to have self-control. But I need to release you from the control over things so that I can have control of you. We recognize that this is scary because it causes us to lose control. Not only does it cause us to lose control, but then also it's scary because what? We will be told the truth. Not everyone likes to be told the truth. Not everyone likes to be told the truth. Everyone just tell me what I like to hear so that I can feel good. But not realizing that sometimes the things that you need to hear, the things that don't feel good, because that's going to bring great and amazing growth and maturity and all these awesome, beautiful things that happens in all of us. (laughs) With the Lord specifically. What do I do? I'm going to be told the truth. Another thing I wrote down is, why why does this stuff scare me? I'm talking about myself here. Because then it's going to, I know that I'm going to start to be led by another. And I don't like for others to tell me what to do. And I know that when I surrender, I'm going to be led by another. How many of us really love for the Lord to tell us what to do? Or How many does it really bother us? Like when the Lord says, I know you only have that much, but give it all away and watch what I do. And then you say, I'm not going to do it. You didn't like what he said to do. When the Lord says, pack up everything and go, and you didn't pack up and go. I mean, I can't think of Abram when God took him out of Ur and he said, finally, I've been dying for you to challenge me to pack up all my things and leave. I doubt it. There had to have been an internal struggle in him that said, I really don't want to do this everything in me is killing me because I really want to be disobedient to God and not go to this biblical king this land flowing with milk and honey sounds too good to be true it's probably all a lie God's probably just been up there for too long and he needs someone to hang out with I don't know what he would have said but the reality is inside he had to recognize will I surrender fully to him and will I go to the land that I do not know how many of us are being called to a land that you do not know, but you have not reached the land that you do not know because there has not been a surrender that you have not known yet? And, and all this stuff is biblical, man. All this stuff, we see it, man, through the pages of Scripture. We see it, man, from story to story. Why will the, some of these things scare me? Because I'll lose control, I'll be told the truth, I'll be led by this other, and guess what else? My words, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my whole being will fall inferior to this other person. And God's like, exactly where I want you. Where all of you is subjected, is surrendered and submissive under me. Call me beautiful. I'm calling you beautiful, yes. Are you lovely? It's scary because all these things will happen to an individual who surrendered. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we've read this here. I'm going to say it again. In verse 19 and 20, so important. It says this. Do you not know that your body, everyone say my body. My body, my body. My body. My body, my body your body, our body is what? Is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But watch what it says next, within you. Whom you have from God and you are not what? So everyone say, my body? body. Not my own. (laughs) What an oxymoron. My body, not mine. My body, not mine. Who says those things? Like, Jesus, like, welcome to my world. Where I flip things inside out. I change the way you speak and think. I change the way you do things. Your body, not your body. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within me, whom I have from God. You are not your own. (laughs) Verse 20, you were bought with a price. And then look what he says next. Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says, so glorify God. But watch where he says to glorify God. Glorify God Where? where? Where do you glorify God? In your body. What does in your body mean? Within. Why? Because you have no power outwardly if the power is not first happening inwardly. If the mighty miracles and the mighty hand of God and the mighty move is not happening within, who gave you authority to do anything without? You better grab your gifts and you better grab your little anointing and you better grab all the little talents you have and everything that you have and you better swallow them whole and you better start working from the inside so then you can start to function in the outside. And Paul says, all of this stuff begins within. It starts inside of you. You thought I wanted you to come to church and make you feel good and do some things on your checklist and let you leave here quickly just so you could go on to the next agenda of things. But in reality is, you can't get away from me until I start working from within. It starts in the inside. And that's what the Lord wants to do. There's no way that we could pray and believe in the Holy Spirit, in Holy Spirit Himself, and yet not understand the weight and the work that He wants to do within. So so what is Paul saying? This body which is my body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit within me. So now what happens is, though I am a Canvas, though I am a tent which is starting to wrinkle and start to turn gray and it's starting to ache though I am just a tent but within me is alive another supernatural being God himself is alive within me the man is perishing but because God is alive in me the inward man is becoming more alive than ever the Holy Spirit is within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where do we have this stuff from? It's from God. It's not your own. You're bought at this price. So there's nothing else that you can do. You know, we're going to have to. I'm going to have to. You're going to have to. We're going to have to stop running and recognize that if there's anything that I'm called to do, I need to begin to glorify God in my body. Why? If I love this body and I want to do what pleases this body... And you're saying, then the answer is, wait a minute, has the Holy Spirit then taken hostage? Has it taken it hostage? Has the Holy Spirit taken it as its temple? Because once the Holy Spirit takes it in its temple, then you fight the urge of pleasing the things of this body and within this body and pleasing that which is alive within you. So glorify God in your body. You are not even yours. Isn't that beautiful? Your parents might think that you're theirs. I, mi I mi my beautiful boy, my little girl. I see my son and my daughter, and I kiss them. Dad, I love you. And I bite their cheeks, and I throw them in the air, and I wrestle with them. And I... But then I recognize they're of me, but they're not mine. They're of me, but they're not mine. These bodies belong to God. These bodies belong to God. Our bodies belong to God. They're not even ours. You don't even belong to yourself. You put so, we put so much work into ourselves, and it's good to care for yourselves and take care of yourself and to keep yourself looking nice and all that. I'm not, going, I'm not teaching against that. But we focus so much on ourselves sometimes, and we don't recognize that, wait a minute, this is not even for me. I don't even belong to myself. I have no ownership when it comes to me. No ownership of anything of me or from me. You have no ownership when it comes to you. For some of you, that's so relieving. Thank God, because it's so hard to keep up with myself. (laughs) Amen. No? If you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, if you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, what are you really saying? You are the abiding place. You are the abiding place of the Holy Spirit. Him and her in whom the Spirit lives within. He resides in you. You are the holy tent of God. You are the tabernacle, as what it says there. You are the sacred temple. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, the life that you thought you lived, you no longer live in yourself. What does that mean for us? Your hard work, my hard work, our hard work. Our hard-thought-out plans, our planned will, our goals for this year and for our lifetime, the deals that we've made or are thinking about making to get what we want. We have some strong news to to discuss today and something strong that I want to say. You're not your own. The truth is, what does Paul say? You were bought at a price. You went from self-gods to slaves of God. If the Holy Spirit lives within, then we glorify him starting from within. We start with glorifying him from within. Paul says again in 1 Corinthians, uh, there in that, in that passage there in verse 20, he says, glorify God in your body. That is not yours. It's not yours. And, and you know, it's hard to understand this. And admit it away from doctrine. We know that doctrine teaches us this stuff, right? Scripture teaches us these things, but it's really hard to grasp with our physical human minds this truth right here. My life is not even mine, my body is not even mine, it belongs to Him. Belongs to him. I was going to have a meeting here this week, and I'm in the middle of the Palmetto, and I saw a car flying right behind me, and I saw him through the rearview mirror, and I was on the phone with with Astrid, and she was telling me some news, and I was saying, oh my God, Jesus, Jesus, she thought I was talking to her about the news she was giving me, when in reality, I'm looking at the rearview mirror, and there is a car that is just going to smash me. I'm parked in the Palmetto because it's bumper to bumper, and the car must he must be on his phone. He must be in La La Land and he's and I'm watching him and I can't go anywhere. And he's just gonna hit me from the back and he is gonna smash me. And I'm holding on and I'm saying this. Oh my god, 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 oh my god. I was ready for it. I was gonna die saying, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I was gonna die saying, Oh my god. Can you imagine? Oh my god, oh my god, I got the next thing you know, I open my eyes, oh my god, oh my god, I'm still saying the same thing. Oh my god, oh my god. And I started to say, oh, my God, oh, my God. And at last minute, I don't know if he opened up his eyes. I don't know if the text didn't go through. I have no idea. But he just went. He went. I don't know he didn't kill himself. And he missed me from, by, I don't even know. I can't even tell you how much it was. I wasn't outside to tell you if it was an inch, if it was a hair, if, it, if I'm exaggerating, if it was a ruler or 12 inches. I don't know. But it was close because I freaked the heck out. And he dodged me the last minute. And I took a deep breath as the car right behind him went, boom, and just hits me. I said, thank God that guy hit me. Because <laughs> if the first person would have hit me, yes. that thing would have been disastrous. Would have been smashed right there in the palm. Of it. That guy came flying. And you start to recognize I have no control. What happens in the road, man? I am in a vehicle that I am controlling, and yet I have no control. <laughs> That's so crazy the trick this life plays on us when we think we're really in control. You're not yours. It's hard to understand that. He bought me. He bought me. And when he bought me, you know what scripture says? The Holy Spirit becomes the seal of the agreement. I was bought at a price and the Holy Spirit becomes the seal. He becomes the seal of this agreement. You know what the seal means? A mark. You know what that means? That 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 you no longer belong to the land in which you belong, that the farmer that used to graze that land, now you've been marked with a whole different mark. You belong to a whole different farmer. To a whole different field, to a whole different kingdom. And the Holy Spirit seals the agreement. It is the only way that Paul or any of us could get to this point. Love the scripture. It was always my favorite verse for all throughout high school, growing up in my young adult years. I always said I was going to get a tattoo of it. Never got one for all of you. No one knows if I got one. But Galatians two twenty says, "I have been crucified with Christ." Did you hear that? Surrender. Submit. I'm done. It doesn't belong to me, so I've been crucified to Christ. Very simple, isn't it? Very simple, isn't it? But very hard to do, isn't it? How can you say something is so simple, but yet you're struggling to do it? Because the simple things are sometimes the hard things to do. I've been crucified with Christ. Look what he says. Look at what Paul says. Whole different passage. Whole different groups of people. Group of people that he's writing to. In the next part of the sentence, he says what? It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Does he not sound what he just wrote to the church of Corinth? sounds the same. I've been crucified. I'm no longer living. This life is not mine to live. Christ now decides to live within me. And he says, now in the life, I now live in the flesh. In my outward body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live within. I've decided within what this body does without. And he just loved me and he gave himself for me. I mean, you read some of this stuff and you're like, wow, man. Like Paul wasn't just writing great literature here. Paul was writing some powerful encounters and powerful things that were happening in his life. And he was writing it to the church, and some thousands of years later, here we are, the church, still reading and studying and ourselves with the, with the letters and the words that Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. You know, when you look at Jesus, Jesus in calling his disciples, he would tell them something, but the first part of the statement before he would say anything else is very unique, very powerful— what would he tell his disciples? What would he tell his followers? He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must. Guess what he says? No, it's before he talks about picking up the cross. You must deny yourself. Because then what happens is if you pick up the cross without denying yourself, the cross will be in vain. We pick up the cross because we first learned that we've denied ourselves. I don't have the strength even to pick up a cross, my cross. If I have not learned how to submit and surrendered and denied myself. I believe that the denial of the believer is what gives them the strength to pick up their cross. I believe that the reason why many believers come and they last for a little while and then they drop their cross is because they have not learned how to be denied, how to deny themselves. But the one that lasts and has longevity and perseveres and lasts to the end of age, that finishes the race, not just starts the race, those are the individuals that have learned to follow him and deny themselves. And because of that, the cross feels well, well upon them. There's strength in carrying the cross when I've learned the ability to deny myself. And he's basically reminding us I bought you, it's mine, it's your, it's his, you are his, the Holy Spirit is in you, he is the seal of the agreement I bought you you should write that down in your notes he has bought me all right let's get into two scriptures today two verses today that'll bless your life I believe the first one is found in Ephesians 4 30 when Max preached on Sunday last Sunday I was going to come up and close the service with Ephesians 4:30, but I felt God saying don't say it don't open up to it just do what you guys have to continue to do here and now I see why he wanted us to get into it today But I almost got into this verse last Sunday. A whole other church group, Paul says this in Ephesians 4.30, just verse 30 for now. Maybe if we have time, we'll jump around later. But look at what it says. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. won't say grieve. grieve. I don't have a, 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 a I, don't, I normally have catchy like um, titles for the message. I couldn't think of one. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit. <laughs> do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see two very important words there, right? Grieve and sealed. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. You know, when you look at this word, let's start with the word here, sealed, for a moment. We're getting to grieved in a little bit. But when you look at the word sealed, you've been sealed for the day of redemption. That word sealed in the Greek has a very significant meaning. The word sealed means that you are a marked person. You're a marked person. You know that in the Old Testament... When someone was a slave to another, they would mark them. They might have put them on a doorpost and, and slapped the, their earlobes to it and put an earring on them. And the earring in the Old Testament was a representation I belong to this owner, okay? That's an, that's, I'm just letting you guys know a little bit of what would happen in, in, in Scripture. And it was a representation of I am bound to this family, I am bound to these people. Sometimes it was a a form of physical marking, whether it was some sort of tattoo or whatever, but, but I'm bound uh, to the, this individual. And, and it was a mark that when that person, that person lived and walked around, this mark was an was a exterior representation of what? 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 I don't belong to myself. I, this mark that I have on me is a is a declaration that actually as I live here and I do as what I'm doing, everything that I do and that I am, I belong to the marking that this person marked me with. And, it, and to everyone that they would do life in front of, it was a sign that, oh, look, it's a slave. It's someone that belongs to another person. And here's a scripture and Paul says that, You do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Why do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? Comma, you have been sealed by Him for the day of redemption. You've been marked by Him. There is a piercing that has happened within you. I believe it's more of an internal mark that happens. I don't necessarily going to blow your mind and say that your tattoos are evil and that your your earrings are evil. I'm going to get a little bit deeper. Is your heart evil or is your heart pure? Because I believe that what the Holy Spirit wants to do is tattoo and pierce the inward man so that when you live on this earth and other eyes see you they say oh I know exactly who that is he belongs she belongs to another She, he has been sealed and marked by God and the seal upon them is the Holy Spirit So what do you do? You don't grieve that which has sealed you. You don't grieve that which has marked you. You don't grieve that which testifies that you are a son of God and a daughter of God, that you went from an enemy to a child. And now you're no longer a God of yourself, but a slave to your master, who is Christ Jesus. And what do you have to testify of it? I have a seal. I have a mark. I have been branded. I have been pierced. By the Holy Spirit. Sealed. You're a marked person. Paul says. How many of you... No. You're a marked person. You're marked with a seal. You belong to another. I will ask this though. Have you found the struggle... To belong to Christ because in you there's so much still that belongs to you. So some things it's just hard for you to do. Do is the key word there. Because you're doing it. Because you're serving yourself. How many of you are really fighting... Come on, let's be really honest with this. And and I don't want to not give weight to to Satan himself and all that. But how many of you are not even fighting with the enemy? Not even fighting with Satan? I know you want to blame it on him. I know you want to say, it's that Lucifer, I tell you. It's that Satan, that rugged devil of old. (laughs) But how many of you, your greatest battles is not even Satan? The reality is you're fighting two different gods. God, you, and the God, God, him. And it's a constant, I, I want to do these things. And Paul fought that. The things I wish to do, I do not do. And the things that I do not do, I do it. And he's like, oh, all messed up, man, when he's writing that. And I'm like, thank you, Paul, for writing that. How many of you, it's a struggle because you recognize, wait a minute, I still want to belong to myself, but at the same time, I want to belong to him. And he comes to remind you today, no, there's no way that you could belong to two lovers. Because if you belong to yourself and to me, then you're going to love yourself more than you love me. You're going to love one more than the other. Max shared something last Sunday that I hope you didn't run away from. The wine wasn't brought out to bring forth any kind of confusion or anger or let me just be trendy and different. The wine bottle that was brought out last Sunday was a reminder of a spiritual reality in every single one of our lives. I hope we surrendered to it rather than ran from it because it was a whole passage, and I'll get into that, about being intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. So then I went to go visit after Sunday, and then I went to visit... the Miramar Miramar hub on Tuesday and we were having conversations and Holy Spirit did what he wanted to do on that Tuesday hub which we had a beautiful moment. I knew that this was the message that I needed to share today. It's not popular. It's not a popular message. It's not a popular message. It's not a popular message because we're not standing here and telling you to, to, to keep coming as you are and that the Lord still loves you. Everything in me Wants to keep you and wants to tell you, keep coming as you are. And Jesus still loves you. But the reality is that I'm not preaching the right gospel. I'm not preaching the right scripture. I'm not preaching what the Holy Spirit really wants to do within us. So it's not a popular message. Instead, we're asking ourselves this. Are we encountering Holy Spirit? And are we being encountered by Holy Spirit? The way that he desires for it to be. Or. Are we quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives? What did I get from last Sunday's message? I got a lot of things. But I wrote this one important thing down. We are just as filled with the Spirit as we want to be. We are just as filled with the Holy Spirit as we want to be. So. We talked about Ephesians 4:30. I'm gonna eventually get into 1 Thessalonians 5, but in 1 Thessalonians 5:19, it has a few words only, and then a period. Ready? It's a short sentence, and it says this: "Do not quench the Spirit." For Ephesians 4:30 says, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God." Two different churches, one in Thessalonica, the other one in Ephesus. Two different churches, two different church groups, and what is Paul telling two different church groups in two different locations? Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And he's saying something very important. In both verses, he's talking about the Spirit. When you look up that word, it's pneuma. It's He's speaking directly about God, the Holy Spirit. Don't quench him. Many, many gatherings quench him. Many gatherings say, if we do this, then they're going to think it's, it, who cares? Please him. Let it happen. If we allow this, if we say, this, and, 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 and here's Paul writing, he says, don't grieve him. When, when you look at the word grieve, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, as we've read in um, Ephesians chapter 430, we talked a little bit about seal, but the word grieve here, it, it's, this is interesting, watch this. It means sad or to make sorrowful. Have you thought about this for a moment? I have, I have, I have the ability to make the Holy Spirit sorrowful. I can make God sad. I have the ability to cause the Holy Spirit to be sorrowful, to make him sorrowful. You're like, well, he's God. I mean, he's got nothing to worry about up there, and he's good. But he loves us so much that our actions, our decisions, the things that we do can make him sad. We could cause ourselves to what? To grieve the Holy Spirit, making him sorrowful. And what do we make the Holy Spirit sorrowful in or, or doing what what is it that you and i can do that can cause the holy spirit to be grieved to be made with sorrow what do you think you and i can do huh disobedience, disobedience. yeah 100% sin in our lives continual habitual sin in our lives disobedience in our lives We'll grieve the Holy Spirit. And if we're grieving and making sorrow the Holy Spirit, how are the workings of the Holy Spirit within us? Man, I could grieve the Holy Spirit not just by one form of disobedience, but I could grieve the Holy Spirit by so many different forms of, of, dis- of um, disobedience. I'm going to talk about that now in a moment. right? It's the sin- it's, well, Let's talk about it real quick. It's the sins that I do and it's the sins that I find myself, the things, that, the things that I'm not doing. It's the thing that we've taught here about sin. It's omission. Sin that has been omitted. The, the omission uh, of, of, of obedience and, and, and not doing what God's called you to do. And, and then there's the commission that you've committed this sin. So there's two different kinds of, and, 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 and maybe it's because God is calling me to do something and yet I don't do it. And he's grieved and he's, oh, they made sorrowful and you've caused, the, you've, you've allowed the sin of omission in your life. And, and, or maybe it's don't do it and you did it. And he's like, oh, and he's grieved and he's made with sorrow because you created and you did the sin of commission in your life. Whatever it is, we could grieve him in different forms of disobedience. Everyone understand that, right? In 1 Thessalonians, he goes on and Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Well, the word quench there is very important. It means don't put it out. We just sang a song about fire. How crazy it is in my life, because I'm not pointing at any of you. How crazy it is in my life that I could sing in one moment for the fire of God to consume me all at the same time deciding to put it out. I'm saying let your fire burn. Well, I have a fire extinguisher, shh, just blowing it out. And he's like, you're, you're doing what you're not singing. What am I doing? You're quenching me, he says. A beautiful definition to, to define this word quench. It's the word, I love this word, it's the word suppress. Paul could have said this, do not suppress the Holy Spirit. I I like that word suppress because the word suppress means do not prevent the development of the Holy Spirit. When we quench him, we are what? Stunting the development of the Holy Spirit. How many, don't I raise your hand. Um, How many of you feel like you need to be there already? But man, for some reason, I'm just not there yet. Could it be that you are causing this to happen? You're preventing the development. So you're not there. And it frustrates the heaven out of you. (laughs) Because I know God's called me here and to that and to there. But within you, it's a constant battle and you're suppressing the work of the Holy Spirit. And what you're seeing is you're preventing from the development, the work that it wants to do first in you so that it could happen through you. Do you understand that what you're praying and what I'm praying and what we're praying for the Holy Spirit to do through us can never happen if it first doesn't happen in us? So, what happens is we may be praying, Lord, do this through me. Lord, do this through us. Lord, do this. And He's like, How? How? I'm not, I'm not the dude in the line. You don't rub me and I come out, you give me three wishes and bang, I do it. It's you come, I touch you and you touch me. I touch you and you touch me. Remember that? I touch you and you touch me and I touch you and you touch me and we touch me and and we're just growing. to And then you stop suppressing and you stop the development of the work of the Holy Spirit. You stop quenching, you stop grieving the Holy Spirit that lives in you and watch where it takes you. Watch what it does within you and then you'll start to see what it does through you. How many of you are seeing mighty works of the Holy Spirit happening through you because of what's being made alive in you first? You know as we're preaching this stuff, you know it's real because you're you're experiencing it. You're experiencing it in your life. Are we grieving the Holy Spirit? Amen? Amen. Don't look at the Holy Spirit ever as separate from God. He's equal to God because Holy Spirit is God. Amen? Amen. Ephesians shows us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, especially for the day of redemption. I I wrote this down. You should write this down. I I kind of got inspired and I wrote this down before our salvation the Holy Spirit begins to work on us before our salvation our salvation the Holy Spirit begins to work on us at the moment of our salvation the Holy Spirit begins to work in us. Before salvation, he's doing the work and he's trying to do a work on us to to get to that place of salvation. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us. And what does he do? What does he do at the moment of salvation? True salvation. He begins to live inside. God, the Holy Spirit, begins to live in you. Yet, we decide daily whether this work, this what Pastor Leo calls a lot, this manifestation of the Holy Spirit will continue to deepen. Or take its place of high importance. We have to decide that daily. Last week, Pastor Max came up here and I didn't bring the bottle. <laughs> but he brought the bottle up. And he says, last week we, we were urged, don't be sipping saints. Remember? Yeah. Many of us are just sipping saints. A little here and a little there and that's enough of God. But instead he encouraged us to be intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. Man, when you get intoxicated, you begin to live different and walk different and think different and speak different. And it's true, when the Holy Spirit begins... Intoxicate you, your whole life changes. And at this place of intoxicated by the Holy Spirit, just su- completely submerged, which we get the word baptized, baptized and submerged in the Holy Spirit. At this place, we see the growing work of the Holy Spirit living in us. And what does that do? It longs and it desires to do the work, what? Through us. The Holy Spirit does not want to stay dormant within. The Holy Spirit wants to be made alive throughout your life. You guys know that, right? I'm really hoping this stuff changes us, man. Pastor Sam Storms, I don't know if you've, you know Pastor, he's an author, he's a pastor. He wrote an article in, on their, um, the blog from Desiring God, John Piper's um, ministry, Desiring God. And it, it caught my attention because I said, you go, Sam Storms. You go, boy. Because um, it's good to see that Pastor Sam Storms and my thoughts and his thoughts and according to Scripture are aligned. And Pastor Sam Storms, in an article in um, the Desiring God blog, writes this. I'm going to read it as he he wrote it. It's not mine. It's his. He says, seven ways to quench the Holy Spirit. You want to hear I don't have time to get into all the verses and all that, but but he says this. Number one, we quench the Spirit whenever we diminish his personality and speak of him as if we were only an act. As if he were only an abstract power of source of divine energy. Number two, we quench the spirit. Look at the word he uses here. Is it coming up? Oh, okay. When we, whenever we suppress or legislate against his work of imparting spiritual gifts and ministering to the church through them. Good job, Sam. Number three, We quench the spirit whenever we create an untouchable and self-righteous structure in our corporate gatherings and worship services and in our small groups that does not permit the spontaneousness or the special leading of the spirit. Wow. You know how many lunch dates we've destroyed in this church? You know how many lunch plans we've messed up already here? Some of you guys, you guys are learning to start making your lunch plans at 2, 2.30, 3. Because sometimes when you make them at 1, they get a little messed up. <laughs> and you start to recognize, ah, yeah, we go to a different kind of church. We're just going to let the Holy Spirit move sometimes when he wants to move. Such a powerful statement. Uh, oh, man, I wish I knew who, who said this, but I read it. One pastor said this. Whenever the church magnifies its programs above the person of Christ and its platform above the power of the Spirit, it has sinned against the work of Christ. Isn't that powerful, according to what Sam, said, Sam Storm said in number three? Number four, we quench the Spirit whenever we despise prophetic utterances. Sam Storms. Number five, we quench the Spirit whenever we diminish His activity that alerts and awakens us. To the glorious and majestic truth that we are truly the children of God. There is many doctrines out there that want to continue to keep you condemned. That you could continue to say, unworthy am I, and you could never live in the worthiness of Christ. You know that, right? You might be quenching the Holy Spirit by constantly reminding him, the one that lives within you, how unworthy. How in the world are you so unworthy if that which lives inside of you is so worthy? Okay, but that's a whole other preaching. Because I do believe that I am unworthy. And I do believe I am a sinner saved by grace. But I do believe that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'll read number five again. We quench the spirit whenever we diminish his activity that alerts and awakens us to the glorious and majestic truth that we are truly, truly the children of God. Number six, we quench the Holy Spirit when we rely decisively on any resource other than the Holy Spirit for anything we do in life or ministry. And number seven, I'm going to poke at the worship for a moment. We quench the Spirit whenever we suppress, again, legislate against or instill fear. Listen to this, in the hearts of people regarding the legitimate experience of heartfelt emotions and affections in worship. How many times have we come to church and we said, stop, you're acting emotional. And that was just a statement to control you, to not worship like that. Imagine being in a church that says, let your emotion." if you're going to let your emotions rip anywhere, let them rip here in the presence of God. Can you imagine that? <laughs> oh, heaven will break loose. So beautiful. All right, I guess I'll keep going. I feel comfortable. So um, worship team could start coming up. I'll, I'll close up after I read some passages here. So here's some of the evidences that one is not grieving but is being filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I know if I'm not suppressing? How do I know if I'm not shutting it out? How do I know if I'm not um, Um, dismissing the work of it in my life? How do I know if I'm quenching the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit of Him just doing this manifestation, this mighty work of filling my life? Ephesians 4.30, if you remember, says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But do you know what verse 31 and 32 says? It's connected to verse 30. If you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and not grieving the Holy Spirit, 31 and 32 has to become a reality in our life when we what? When we begin to get rid of all bitterness. When we begin to get rid of all rage and all anger and harsh words and slander. When when someone is constantly slandering, I'm telling you right now that that person that lives in slander is not being filled with the Holy Spirit. Their slander is causing them to suppress the work of the Holy Spirit. When that person is filled constantly with rage, with bitterness, and then they say, oh, but you know, this is just my weakness. No, allow the Holy Spirit to take over your rage. Allow the Holy Spirit to take over your bitterness. Allow the Holy Spirit to take over your harsh words, your slandering words. And what else, does, what else does Paul say? As well as all types of evil behavior. Any witnesses there? Instead, what are you called to do? If you're being filled with the Holy Spirit and you're not grieving the Holy Spirit and you're allowing the workings of the Holy Spirit to happen through you and in you, what are you doing? Instead, you're being what? Come on, say it. Kind. You're being kind to each other. You know what the Holy Spirit does? We've preached this year before. He causes us to have tender hearts. We become tender-hearted individuals when the Holy Spirit, you know, we're not just always judging and we're not just always critiquing and we're not just always complaining and we're not just always fighting and we're not just always arguing and we're not always bitter and we're not just using harsh words and we're not just slandering all the time. Where's the tenderness of the heart of God that the Holy Spirit is doing in the person that it's filling? You're forgiving one another, Paul says, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. If you're, if, you're, if you're not grieving the Holy Spirit, verse 31 and verse 32 is happening in your life. Amen. <laughs> Eugene Peterson says it this way, don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and as thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. What is he saying? Don't take for granted the Holy Spirit's what? Influence in your life. Don't grieve him. Don't stop him. Let, and, and also, don't let your grief grieve him. But let your grief welcome him. I love what Paul's words Or as he's encouraging the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5. Let's just read it. I said in verse 19, Paul says, do not quench the spirit. But let's look at the context around do not quench the Holy Spirit. Let's start with verse 12. Ready? Chapter 5, verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. Those who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. To esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Verse 14, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Oh, man. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. Look at verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. You test all things. You hold fast what is good. You abstain from every work of evil. How many of you can say amen? Amen. One One commentary says this, the Holy Spirit of God should never be pushed away. It should never be ignored. It should never be rejected. If we would remember that the one who lives in us is God's own spirit, we would be much more selective about what we think, read, watch, say, and do. So I ask again, is there a putting out, is there a preventing the development of? Have you seen yourself... Grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit in your life. So I guess the best thing I could say is, is there a greater surrender and obedience in you and from you that will cause you to become more alive than you ever have? Amen? I'm running out of words. Paul talks about, like, preaching till you convince them, you know? Sometimes I feel like Paul. I'm like, I'm trying to convince you. <laughs> Do I keep on for another hour? Because I could go on and on and on. <laughs> I will. Let's go to John chapter 3. <laughs> I just want to read it and let, it, let, the, word minister, let the word minister to you. We've, re- we've studied this here before, but catch it, catch it. And then we're done, I promise. This is Nicodemus and, and Jesus' encounter in John 3. It says, there was a man, Nicodemus, and he was, a Jewish, he was a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, we're not going to get into all the details of this because there comes another message. He came to speak with Jesus and he said, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miracles, sorry, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. (laughs) I I always love Jesus' reply. Because sometimes it feels totally different than what the person is saying or asking. But he's truly answering it. I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And the guy's like, I never even mentioned that. (laughs) I'm not even talking about that. unless you are born again you cannot see the kingdom of God what do you mean? Nicodemus says <laughs> the world, this guy's lost his mind he says how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again and Jesus says I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit he's like you stood and answer me how do I go back into my mother's womb I'm an old man No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Look at verse 6. Humans can reproduce only human life. Look what he says here. But the Holy Spirit, Who's, who's talking here? God, Jesus. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. How many of you just need the Holy Spirit to work in you because That life which is to be spiritual is really unspiritual. And it just needs to become spiritual. And here's Jesus, and he's talking to Nicodemus, and he's talking to us still today. He's like, hey, listen, I get it, man. You go back into your mother's womb. Good luck. All they do is produce life. But what I'm talking about here is the Holy Spirit, he's going to give birth. He's going to do something spiritually within you. See how Jesus points back to the inside? Don't be surprised when I say you must be born again, Nicodemus. Verse 7. Look what he says. The wind blows wherever it wants. And just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it's going. Just like that. That's what I'm speaking about. I'm speaking about a certain group of people. He Who has ears, let him hear. I'm talking about a certain group of people. The wind blows. But I'm talking about a certain group of people. That just like the wind blows and you don't know where it came from, it's where it's going. There's a certain group of people that you can't explain. You can't explain. They're born of the Spirit. So beautiful. Lord, I, my prayer is that you would just make us so alive. And his answer is, have the church know they need to be born in the Spirit. They need to allow the Spirit to manifest. Don't grieve it. Don't quench it. Don't suppress it. Don't tell it what to do and what not to do. Let it do what it needs to do and enjoy the ride of life as the Holy Spirit begins to manifest in you and starts to do that work through you come on I want you to close your eyes today how many of you might sense man my life is truly grieving the Holy Spirit and I just want the Holy Spirit to have his way I just want to be like the wind, wherever it blows. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, and so are those who are born of the Spirit. I just want to be led by you, directed by you. I want to function and flow by you. Let that be the most important thing. If there's anyone here that knows that that's you, and you want to surrender to the Lord, right there where you're sitting, can you stand up? And as you stand, can you stand before the presence of God and say, as I stand, Lord, I say today that I do no longer want to grieve, suppress, and quench, but I want the Holy Spirit to do the work in me. And right there as you stand, can you begin to cry out to your God? Let's let the worship team sing over us for a moment here, but... If you're standing today, you have opened up the altar of your heart. If you're still sitting, if you have your head down and you're in prayer, pray. Pray because around you there may be some people standing. That are being bold right now and standing before the presence of God. And they're saying, Lord, I stand today as a sign of, Lord, here I am. I no longer want to grieve and I no longer want to just control. And Holy Spirit, I want you to do what you Holy Spirit, here I am. Have your way, Holy Spirit.